Um, yeah. So, um, what do you think? All the uh, altcoins, or I don't know, most altcoins are uh, uh, the the whole space. I just, just I remember you saying that. Uh, um, yeah, I would assume so. Um, you know, so you know the, the the general, and I've I've worked a lot in the software space, which doesn't you know doesn't make me any kind of final authority, but. I did spend 15 years and to some degree was part of a pump and dump scheme, not because what I had created was pump and dump, but because when the company that I'd co-founded went public, because we were in the environmental space, we satisfied a lot of green requirements for investment uh, portfolios. And man, it's, you know, the the fever greed that takes people over with this kind of stuff, I, I've seen it firsthand. And, I wrote about it a little bit in my novel, The God of Atheists. Uh, it's just astounding. You know, people just literally staring at, you know, our stock started at two cents and like went up from there and uh, and and all of that. And seeing that kind of fever dream and just how it makes people, it, it drives them crazy. It drives them absolutely mental. They lose focus on work. They've just got stock tickets up on their screens. They're distracted. They're planning all their wealth. They're getting all loosey-goosey, they get kind of punchy uh, because they feel like they don't need you as a boss anymore and the investors are being told stuff that is technically impossible and it just the, the mania is just uh, extraordinary and of course it has a lot to do with bad childhoods and uh, lack of bonding and all of that but uh, yeah, it, it is the, the fear of missing out, the greed factor, you know, we're very stimulated in, into these kinds of things, the desire to get something for nothing. So yeah, there's a lot of coins and they don't have the network effect of Bitcoin. They don't have the general acceptance of Bitcoin. They don't have the of technical acceptance and proof of concept of Bitcoin. And yeah, they're like, oh, it's got this cool thing. It can do things way faster than Bitcoin. It's like, well, of course it can. You know, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you know the whole challenge of, of Bitcoin, right? Like the block size thing, right? How many, how many transactions are you going to process in any particular block size? And, you know, the big battle was... Well, if we make it large enough that we can process a whole bunch of transactions, then it can't be decentralized because it's too much data to go over people's, you know, if they want their home networks, their home nodes. or So you'll need these big server farms with these dedicated T3 pipes and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then it's centralized. It could be attacked. It could be shut down. And, and the whole point was to keep it decentralized. So that's just a factor of the decentralization is a relatively lower number of transaction capacities. And... So a lot of these guys are like, yeah, look at this. You know, Bitcoin takes this amount of time and we'll do it in a quarter of a second. It's like, well, yeah, because you're small, right? I get that. I get that. I mean, uh, it's like a guy who's got, you know, a thousand people on the network going to another guy who's got one person on the network and the other guy says, my network is way faster. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's just a few people using it. So there's a lot of, is it scalable? Uh, and does it need centralization? If it scales up to a world finance situation, and this isn't necessarily just the coffee and donuts thing, but if Bitcoin, sorry, if any any crypto is going to scale up to a world currency thing, there's there's two big tensions, right? The, the one of the tensions is we want to keep it decentralized, which means the blockchain has to be updated everywhere, which means it's going to be slow relative to a centralized thing like uh, Visa or whatever, right? If it's centralized, then yeah, you can process a lot more transactions, but the whole point of the decentralization was to avoid the power of central banking to avoid the power of a centralized server farm that's vulnerable to attack and, and, and so on and, and hacking and, and all of that. So uh, a lot of the altcoins, have they dealt with this issue? Are they upfront and say, 
well, yeah, we're faster because we're smaller, uh, we're faster because there are fewer people using the network, and we're faster because we have an architecture that will require centralization when it comes to processing you know, the millions of transactions a minute or a second that could be the case in a world economy situation. So, the, um, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but my understanding is that the Bitcoin is, you know, there's going to be stuff that happens at a faster um, situation like the Lightning Network. And if you know more about this, please, please correct me, right? This is sort of my very rudimentary understanding of it, that you're going to have a parallel network that's going to settle transactions quicker, which then is going to be resolved to the blockchain over time. Just as when you do a Visa transaction, it settles the next day or maybe the end of the week or whatever it is. So uh, to say I have something vastly superior to Bitcoin, that's a pretty tough statement to make. Uh, and and be credible because Bitcoin has uh, really under, underwent the whole growth scenario and scalability situation. And the other thing too, if you're a new coin, oof, I'll tell you that this is a case I would hate to make. Uh, but having seen salespeople, I know how they can make a case that they feel is worse uh, very quickly and and much you know with with great uh, sophistry. But the case that I would not want to make as an altcoin, and I'm not talking about the major ones like you know Bitcoin Cash maybe or or um, uh, to a smaller degree, Tezos uh, or something like Ethereum, and you know, so I'm not talking about the, like I'm talking about the, the three thousand other coins or whatever out there. What I would not want to say to an investor is, my coin will cause people to abandon the trillion dollar value proposition of Bitcoin. They will abandon that. They will give up their money in order to come to me. Right, Because if you want to get people onto a crypto, if you want to get people off Bitcoin and onto your crypto, then you have to explain to an investor how people are just going to abandon a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, sorry, a trillion dollars plus of value. And not just individuals, but now entire institutions. And I'm sure countries have it in their back pocket. And uh, what is it? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg just put out a tweet saying that he's got two goats. One is named Max. The other one is called Bitcoin for maximalist Bitcoin. And you got Tom Brady going laser eyes and Paris Hilton going laser eyes and right, all this kind of stuff. So you have to explain why people will abandon. Like it would be like I'm going to build a house so good that people will simply abandon their existing houses. Like they won't even sell them to some degree, right? Because if everyone sells Bitcoin, it kind of goes to zero, right? So you you're going to have to explain to people who are coming into your space how you are going to displace the fastest asset to ever reach a trillion dollars in human history. And I, I would not, I, I have no idea how you could make that case. I have no idea. You've got a huge community in, uh, in Bitcoin. You have, most of the major holders are withdrawing their Bitcoins from the exchanges, right? I'm sure you're all aware of that. The, the, the Bitcoins that are changing, you know, you get this it's cooking around, you know, 53, 56, 51 US. So uh, all of the people who are doing that are short-term people. They're sort of, in a sense, day traders. They're buying and selling, buying the dip and selling the, the height. And that, I mean, that's fine. That's perfectly, you know, the, the sea is surf as well as depth, right? The depth of the long-term holders. And they're pulling off their Bitcoins from the exchanges. Why? Because everything that has been predicted is absolutely coming true. Right, that that you, you, I mean, for those of you who are young, younger, you may not remember. I mean, the seventies were a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Excuse my French. The seventies were a complete total nightmare. When I was uh, in boarding school in the seventies, we had no food. 
We were short of water. It was, in, it was cold. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in England, there were coal shortages, meat shortages, water shortages, food as a whole. Uh, we were eating nothing but old plants. And um, I, I, I froze my ass off because we had to put coins in the meter to, to get heat. And it was very expensive because there were coal strike, coal miner strikes and all of that. And so that stuff where you get shortages, and I remember seeing as a kid these pictures, these videos of uh, um, people lining up for gas, right? And that's like the worst thing in the world, right? I mean, <laughs> a little hyperbole there, but I hope you'll forgive me. It's a pretty bad thing because, you know, everybody knows you go to the gas station when you're almost out of gas. And if the gas station is out of gas, you're screwed, right? You, you can't get to the next gas station. So, I mean, these lineups that would go for blocks. Uh, you look at the price of lumber. It's gone up to the point where it's now 35000 US dollars, adding to the price of a house. The price of housing has gone through the roof. Raw materials uh, have gone through the roof as a whole. And there was a, a hacker attack on a gas pipeline that's, that's causing uh, gas to go through the roof, uh, gasoline to go through the roof, oil to go through the roof. I mean, this is all, you know, hyperprinting of money is, is going through the roof. And now inflation is going through the roof. And so uh, this is exactly what Bitcoin was designed to survive. And not to survive, but flourish through. So uh, for an altcoin, like I'm sorry for the altcoins as a whole. I mean, I get there's passionate people that they believe that they've got the better solution and so on. But there's no time. There's no time. You, you, there's no time. You know, the, the old thing that you, you dig a well, you, you don't wait till you're thirsty to dig a well, right? And, and you, you don't wait until you're attracted to a woman in order to work out and be reasonably attractive. And they're, they're, old coins have, there's no runway left. Like fiat currency, I mean, there was a guy saying that he expects, uh, as a big economist, I think it was, or a big investor saying that he expects the U.S. to no longer be a... Uh, uh, a world reserve currency within 15 years. I'm like, 15 years? Are you kidding me? That might have been the case. Might conceivably have been the case if it hadn't been for the, you know, the, the, the baseball bat to the knee of the economy, knees of the economy called COVID. But it's, not, it's not 15 years. Are you kidding me? And so there's just no runway left for an altcoin to gain any, the kind of prominence that's going to be needed to survive like the storm is on the horizon it's getting closer and people are like i have a plan for an entirely new house and it's like well that's great uh, but uh, you can't possibly build it before the storm hits and you can't possibly transition enough mindset and investment mindset and, and market share uh, away from bitcoin into your altcoin before uh, you know the, the significant inflation if not the hyperinflation hits uh, that's uh, all coming all coming and uh, can't be can't be resisted so does that i hope that the sort of very brief overview gives you some kind of sense of where I'm coming from, at least just sort of my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I understand. I think the strongest argument for me was the thing you said at the very end where there might not just be enough runway basically to make it happen. Um, so with, with that in mind, though, I, I think there's one. Uh, so uh, I was looking up uh, market caps just now. And uh, so it, even even when you look at what I would also consider pump and dump schemes, you know, Doge and such, there's still a drop in the bucket compared to what Bitcoin is right now. So you're saying, um, you know, all coins would tend to dilute investment in Bitcoin, right? 
Well, I mean, there's a couple of characteristics you need of a coin, right? The first thing, it needs to not be centrally controlled. Certainly. It needs to not be massive whales that are controlling it. It, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not having a founder, and I know this, Satoshi Nakamoto, who knows what the hell happened to that guy, right? But it'd be cool if you phoned in one day to the show. That'd be kind of a get, right? <laughs> hey, I listened to your show, and I, you know, <laughs> you know back in 2009. But, um, yeah, who knows what happened to that guy? So I don't, I don't want, when it comes to an altcoin, a couple of things I don't want. I don't want it to be printed and ad infinitum. I do not want it to be created. Uh, I, I want that to be a, I mean, created obviously over time, but the 21 million Bitcoins that's in Bitcoin, the, in the in the architecture, that you want. That you want. Uh, I don't even want 3% growth. I don't want any of that stuff. Uh, I want it to be massively fungible, right? So you can go down to the Satoshi level. I want it to be completely limited. I want it to be scattered in terms of its ownership. And I want it to have survived the pump and nub phase, right? Because there are, uh, and forgive me, I'm just going off ancient memory here, but was it Litecoin that the guy, like, he made a bunch of money, and then he dumped it and ran off, and or whatever it was, which is perfectly fine. You know, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle or anything. But if, if a coin is going up significantly in value, I want it to survive the pump and dump phase. I also want it to survive the cycle. I want to see it, I want to see it have survived the cycle phase of, you know, it goes way up and then it goes way down and people are still going to buy in. It doesn't create it to virtually nothing and then just become preserve of hobbyists with bitter regret or whatever. So, um, and, you know, the altcoins, you just, they just don't have seasoning. They don't have maturity. They don't have, you know, what we in, in the software world used to refer to as the salt and pepper factor. The salt and pepper factor is if you have a company that doesn't have a guy who's a little bit older, you know, uh, in in his late forties, early fifties, you know, when you got salt, you got a little bit of gray in the hair and the beard. That's this thing called the salt and pepper factor. You you just need someone who's been through this stuff before. You need someone. You know, this is why um, the, the media is constantly portraying older people as idiots, uh, and young people are just wise and attractive and vital and and all of that. And yeah, attractive, yes, vital, yes, uh, wise, uh, not not usually. I mean, this this crowd accepted, of course, but because those of us who've been through this kind of stuff before, like. Why was I always skeptical about global warming? Because I went through about three of these things before, and they all turned out to be complete and total bullshit. So, yeah, when the fourth round of bullshit comes along, it's like, yeah, no biggie, right? <laughs> I assume this is bullshit, too. And whereas the people, it's the first time. That's what they say in the stock market, right? That the, um, um, the bulls, <laughs> uh, that the, uh, the, um, the bears make the money off the people who've never been through a bear market before, right? Because once you've been through a bear market before, you know what it's like and you know when to sell. Whereas the people who've never gone through a bear market before, they hang on thinking it's just about to turn around. And so you just, you just need to have been through these things a bunch uh, before. And the salt and pepper factors for, for cryptos, to me, is even, even more important. I just need to have seen it survive. Because the, 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 when, when people found a crypto and it just takes off like crazy and, and they make... I don't know, they could make a couple of hundred million dollars, I suppose, right? Okay, fantastic. So they're likely going to sell, and that's going to crash the price, and also it's going to crash confidence. And then does it survive from there? I don't know. Well, Bitcoin's already been through that a bunch of times. I was around for the when it went from 20K to 3K, and it's bounced back from there. So I just like to see the salt and pepper factor in my, uh, <laughs> in my uh, Bitcoins. And it's important, right? I mean, I remember... When I was the uh, head of research for a software company, uh, the one I co-founded, um, I, I, w- I was trying to solve some abstract problem that you know was fairly rare. And the the, the salt and pepper factor in my the, the CEO salt and pepper factor just kind of he didn't throw me up against the wall, but he kind of 
it was a bit of an LBJ grab you by the shoulders and pants breathily in your face where he's saying, so, you know, why is the software being delayed? Right. You know, I, I need to sell this software so we can pay the bills. And you've got a new version, which you've been promising now for three months. And I said, well, you know, but if it's this kind of printer and it's this kind of operating system, it's like, okay, how often have you, have you ever experienced that? No, but it could happen. It's like, I do not want this company to go bust because you've got some theoretical thing that could happen once in, in five lifetimes. Uh, because what will happen in, in your lifetime very close is that we're going to run out of money. So give me something that I can sell and we'll fix it down the road, right? A very great perspective because I was so nose deep and like nose to the technology stuff that I couldn't think straight. Uh, about cost-benefit analysis, and so the salt and pepper factor there was very important. He didn't turn out to be a great CEO, in my opinion, but I remember that speech as something that just, okay, you got to give a full 360-degree cost-benefit analysis. And you need that in, in the crypto world, and uh, Bitcoin has proven itself for 11 years, which is about a 1,000 years of the regular economy, and I just don't see other uh, coins um, have, how have they solved the centralization versus decentralization issue? Because if it's decentralized, it's going to be slow. If it's centralized, it's going to be vulnerable. Right. And they haven't solved that, uh, and, and they haven't solved how to transfer value. They haven't solved um, uh, much, and they certainly haven't gone through a cycle where people are going to hang in there. Because you need the, the crazy, culty adherence uh, to, to a crypto in order to have it survive. And they have to be motivated by a lot more than just pump and dump money. And so... Um, people have hung into Bitcoin through the highs and lows, and uh, I think that that matters a lot. I think so. It's going to be tough to objectively break through that. Hey, Steph, it's John. Hello. Can you hear me? By the way, I'm in my car, so it might give you a problem. No, I can hear you. Excellent. So last night I sent you a message because the idea came to my mind about non-fungible tokens. I know you're some you you are obviously familiar with it. Um, so about a month or two ago, whenever it first came out, it seemed like a bit of a novelty, but I thought of an idea of an application probably started being done, but if you apply that to the digital sales of games, now you have a unique identifier to your digital copy of a game, and if you give somebody the permission to resell that game as a, as a distributor, or, or whatever method, um, now it can gain a big market share, especially if you can make it available on your market to resell that. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that concept. So, sorry, reselling something you already own? Rather, okay, so imagine this. You purchase a digital copy of a game, but it is identified or whatever is linked to it through a non-fungible token. Right. So your non-fungible token uniquely identifies your copy of the game, and now, since it's connected to you as a person... You could resell that. You could sell that as a used digital game. And you could sell it whatever price you want. That way it's appealing uh, to people to come to your to to your platform to buy and trade and sell games that way. Oh, so That's like if, if it's my copy of Doom, then somebody could buy my copy of Doom and they would know that it was my copy of Doom? Exactly. And you're going to sell it for whatever price you can get. So if you want to sell it for less than, you know, whatever whatever the standard price would be, $60 right now. Let's say you're selling it for $59.99 and somebody takes it because they're saving a penny because they want to buy them in bulk. Or let's say, honestly, it's not that important to you, so you sell it for 20 bucks. You have the rights to gain that money. And uh, for the people who own the platform, let's say GameStop, for example, because I know they're trying to go digital. Um, let's say that they 
create that platform and say, okay, via us, you link your bank account or whatever way to pay to us. And now when you sell it, resell it, it will be sold to the person who, who now owns it and you get whatever price you decided to put up for it. And now there's a market for it, uh, for used digital games. Right, right. I'm sorry, I just wanted to mention my, my connection is a little free, funky here. Can you, guys, you guys can hear my voice coming through uh, clear and, and, and strong. Is that right? You're coming through clear to me. I okay, good. That's fine. That's fine. So I don't, I don't know what the legal structure is with regards to selling a video game. Like, so if, if I buy a video game, I think, isn't it mostly just for your own consumption and not for resale? Essentially, yes. You are only technically borrowing it, or rather, you have the license to play it, but they technically own the game. It's different in nature to owning a physical copy. Right, right. So, I, and I think France has just changed uh, with the legal ruling. They've changed on that uh, a little bit. So, uh, I, I think that the problem you were going to have is is um, certainly companies don't want other people profiting from their games, which you know, of course, I can completely understand. So, uh, I, I think that that would be your legal challenge if people start making a significant amount of money reselling uh, video games. Uh, then. A company would not like that for two reasons. Number one, they would rather you know keep the money themselves if they could find a way to do it. And number two, let's say somebody buys a copy of Doom from me, then they're going to go and play that for you know twenty or thirty hours or whatever, uh, which means that they're not buying some other game that the company. Uh, so uh, true, but at the same time, they're not pirating as well because you've created an incentive to not pirate to spend money you would otherwise you know not be willing to spend. And let's say. You as the platform. No, no, it's the time. Sorry, it's it's the time oh. issue, right? So it's not just the money. Uh, the money is one factor, but if you are playing my copy of Doom and then selling it to someone else who knows that it's my copy of Doom, and then I guess that gives people a certain amount of oh, it's cool, it's Steph's copy of Doom. Then well, because they're be buying connected. that and playing those oh. games, they they don't have time available games or new releases from the company. Okay, let me make sure I'm being uh, I'm understanding you properly. So. When I when I say it's uniquely identified as an NFT, it is still transferable, but it's just uniquely. I'm just using the NFT aspect of it to uniquely identify it. As, you know, it's copy number one thousand two hundred eight. Right. But now my my, my uh, question then is: Let me make sure I have you clarify on that a little bit. And I apologize. I'm just navigating some traffic, so kind of forgot part of the part of the response. Yeah, no, listen, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I would certainly look into... Uh, I know that people have tried resale markets before uh, for video games, and uh, my, my guess would be that they ran into legal issues because the companies didn't want other people profiting from uh, from their, their work. Or, or to put it another way, they didn't like that people were enjoying the game without the original developer and publisher getting a penny, right? Uh, so that's my guess, that there would be some challenges uh, and and uh, they would want you to buy their new games rather than you making money off their labor um uh, rather than you know them uh, make it's the same thing with libraries and you know if you have book resellers right like if i write a book back in the back in the day i write a book and uh, somebody buys that book for 20 bucks and then they sell that book for 10 bucks then i don't get any of the 10 bucks right even though somebody's buying my book which i wrote uh, i get nothing uh, from that and uh, is that is that fair? I mean, 
Um, that's just, I mean, Could you just incentivize the aspect of the, the transfer part itself? Let's say have, have a fee to, to transfer it or, you know, to, to sell that. So the person's making their 20 bucks, but you take a small cut off the top as well for the resale. And now the, the problem in which you are losing profitability from, from piracy and from having been sold to other people is now not there anymore. That liability is not there because you're always constantly taking a cut off the top, especially if you control the platform in which it is bought and sold. You would actually want to encourage more volume trading uh, for that period of time. Right, right. Yeah, listen, I'm going to move on because that's more of a business development idea. Uh, it's a very interesting idea, and I would certainly look into it. You know, the, the first thing that I would suggest is that if it's a good idea to you, you should definitely be proud of it and happy, and maybe it's the, you know, a great idea. Uh, but uh, if it's an idea like resale of video games, uh, then for sure people have thought of that before, right? Because there's a huge amount of value that's stuck in people's, you know, shell, you know, used to be shell. And the resale... Just look. Yeah, that's the first thing you need to do. Is just like when I first wanted to, it was kind of easy because it was a virgin continent apart, really there. But uh, you want to just look at look at the competition, look at people who tried to do it before, look at the legal obstacles or whatever other business obstacles they may have uh, experienced. Uh, so that, and I'm not trying to make you less enthusiastic about your idea. I want you enthusiastic about your idea, but don't pursue it without checking. Uh, you have to assume everyone's had this idea. I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, I didn't come up with philosophy, right? Or even conversations about philosophy or anything like that. So you have to assume that, uh, you know, a thousand people have had this idea before you. Now, maybe it's still a great idea. They just didn't have the willpower to go and execute it or whatever. But I would assume that a thousand people have had the idea before and go and check and see what happened to them. Again, maybe it's, you know, fantastic and you just have the willpower to make it happen. But if it turns there are, you know, massive kinds uh, of things. Setting up things like, uh, you know, if you want to set up a competitor to PayPal, my understanding is that there are different legal requirements for every state in America, and so you need a massive uh, legal department to make sure you're in compliance. And uh, it's really, <laughs> it's really tough, really tough to set that that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to on, but it's a, it's a very interesting question. Do let me know what you come up with uh, as as you go forward. Sure thing. Thanks, Steph. All right. Thanks, man. Drive safe. Hey. All right. What did I miss? Did we solve everything? Uh, well, I had asked um, what question it was that was asked that spawned your response with regard to Bitcoin and altcoins. And then MK was asking me about a wallet. Oh, yeah. Just sort of my... Yeah, and I, I did include a, um, a caveat for, you know, that Tezos was not necessarily included in this. I was talking about the 3,000 altcoins or, you know, what I considered obviously is a meme coin or a joke coin, which oh, is um, yeah. uh, Dogecoin and stuff like that. Uh, um, stuff without, you know, so you know, that was sort of the question is what, where does my skepticism towards the potential pump and dump coins, where does that come from? Well, and did you see yesterday this project that was, that's been being developed by uh, Definity called Internet Computer just popped up at number five on Coin Market Cap with a fifty billion dollar market cap? Did, did sure. anybody notice that? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, fifty-one billion dollars would be crazy. Fifty? <laughs> yeah. Come on, that's that's just common sense. Well, I mean, as, as soon as I I saw that, I'm like, there's got to be a lot of. Um, this was it's not an entirely centralized project in my opinion and we're going to and i think we're going to see more of this coming forward 
where uh, the original core values of crypto are going to be overwhelmed by the get rich quick kind of stuff. Now, do you want to uh, mention, we had talked about talking about Tezos a little. I'd like to hear more about this. So I was talking about, you know, one of the big issues is centralization um, versus uh, uh, speed, right? So so you can get it fast if it's centralized, but then it's more vulnerable uh, and more easy to corrupt through central control of a big server farm or something like that. But when it's decentralized and every node and every blockchain has to update, you're going to have limits on what can be sent and received because slow home computers that you could be running a node, home networks and so on. So what does Tezos do as far as scalability and, you know, centralization versus uh, decentralization? How does that play? So um, in terms of uh, evolution in general for the chain, it does a regular update that's voted on via the network so that whatever's developed by, you know, any other, whatever methodology, it can be integrated into Tezos. And also, knowing that you can look forward to a regular update, for example, um, there's not a, a rush to open the chain up completely and entirely right from the beginning. Like, so, for example, the smart contracts were made in such a way that they were limited. Well, this stops people from writing really big, complicated contracts that cause a lot of the problems that Ethereum is having right now. But as, as time goes forward, and we just went through the Florence update, that uh, opened up the contracts to make them even larger and cheaper, you know. So, uh, part of uh, part of Tezos's methodology is regular updates, you know. So it solves all of these problems and keeps uh, the community together and cohesive, and and it's working pretty great. Um, I'm sorry that that is a wonderful answer to 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 a question. I'm afraid I did not ask. So oh, sorry, I'm please. sorry to I'm sorry to be annoying, but that that's great. Regular updates doesn't solve. So as you know, like the blockchain question in in Bitcoin is. If we make the blockchain big, we can process more transactions, but then we can't be decentralized because not everyone can update their their copy of the blockchain quick enough. I'm I'm really redu- reducing it and probably getting a few details wrong, but that's yeah. my sort of general understanding. Okay, so from my understanding, the Bitcoin core approach so far is uh, make the blocks smaller in general. Like, there's people that even want to make it smaller than uh, whatever it is right now, like one megabyte, I believe. And yeah, they're they're aiming towards having as cheap or as little a hardware as possible or as low level of technology as possible capable of running a Bitcoin node. And that, to me, is uh, running too far in an, in an extreme in one direction, because what's, what's coming with that is it does make the transactions more expensive, you know, on-chain transactions, and that comes with uh, turning off part of your user base and part of the people that would uh, normally support it. And it's my opinion, you know, and so what I'm, what we're seeing, what I'm seeing a lot more now is that the Bitcoin core community really turning a lot of people off, you know, over time. And so, so basically what they're doing is they're opening up a vulnerability in terms of people support in order to over-engineer, you know, the, in the techie code world, this other avenue. They're prioritizing one thing at the expense of another, in my opinion, you know, I could completely be wrong here. Uh, sorry. So what Tezos does in comparison is it balances things a little bit, you know, more in the other direction. There's uh, there's still uh, an ocean of nodes. It is uh, capable. I'm able to run Tezos, multiple Tezos nodes from my home uh, on plenty cheap enough software and internet connections and stuff like that. So um, all all of these actually uh, decentralization is a balancing act in in my opinion. It's not just a a one 
there's it, it's like it's a triangle of things you're trying to balance that kind of tip the scale either way you've got to all right i'm sorry let me just tap my mic here make sure that the right mic is let me just tap you guys heard the tap did not hear a tap did not hear a tap no no tap no tap oh interesting i wonder if it's does it does the mic sound tinny or anything no sounds good no all right, uh, so I'm gonna switch. So if you don't, I switch. Uh, switch your seat. I'm just I'm gonna tap with it here. Let me just switch that. I'll be back in a second. Let me just add another question. Then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, um, can I tell you? It looks like the uh, the microphone has fried itself. Uh, you know, it's like two hundred dollar microphone, but if that little connector at the end gets all jinky, so so well it's, toss it out. Anyway, Steph, so you were you were grilling me about uh, Tezos decentralization, and I would say uh, it's a it's a all of these crypto or like all the cryptos like, you know, Tezos, Ethereum, such and such like that, they would err more towards uh, more nodes, more distribution, not having, what do you call it, uh, big whales all from the get go, you know, is all part of being decentralized. And so one of the things that uh, Tezos also did to not be not have big whales in that sense is with the Tezos Foundation. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. There were some initial uh, funders like uh, Tim Draper. Um, the Tezos Foundation held on to, like, so for example, Arthur's a person who, Arthur Brightman wrote the white paper for Tezos, and in my opinion, has done an excellent job of not being like the head leader or figure. I, I'm, I'm on the inside of the community, and he gets argued with and told no, and, you know, he, he, it's not like his word is gospel by any means. Anyways, the, the amount of Tezos that he got, it had he had to wait and get it vested over time. He didn't just get a big payout, you know. By any no, means. no, I get all of that. So uh, again, I I, <laughs> I have to circle back and and say that this is great information. But the the central question for me, at least, remains unanswered. Maybe you have answered it, and I've, I've sort of missed it. But the central question is this: is that once you get to the scale of a world economy, if things are centralized, you can process a lot of transactions, but then you're vulnerable because you need a server farm that could be shut down. If it's decentralized and everybody's got to update their blockchain, then you can process fewer transactions. Now, I don't know that there's any way to solve that. And, and that's, that's the challenge, right? And so if you look at scaling up to the number of transactions or the size of transactions that Bitcoin is doing, where does Tezos stand uh, with regards to uh, updating everyone's node so that it's decentralized uh, and then processing fewer transactions or centralizing it and processing more transactions, but then it being vulnerable to control and shutdown. So in that sense, um, we, and please, Leo, stop me if I'm not answering your question. I, I, I'm really trying to. Uh, yeah, third time uh, I will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, like, so it, the demands of the hardware are not such that a person like myself can't run an operation from home, you know, and also there's, uh, okay, so that's part of the decentralization. There's not farm somewhere running it it's many people distributed across the globe uh with an economic incentive to keep these this hardware up and running that, that yeah so that's that's the bitcoin model right yes and now that the where tezos differ, differs is that it's proof of stake versus uh proof of work and so that is a different and and i and by all means it absolutely is more experimental in comparison to proof of work but it has been running since 2018 successfully you know Okay, so give me the four one. I think the the explain it to me like I'm five years old. Proof of stake versus proof of work. Oh man, I wish I I understood Please. this on a on a more technical level to be able to explain it. But at least uh, so basically, 
I take my Tezos and I lock them up. They've got to be locked up for three weeks, and I register on the network as a uh, a baker is what the term in Tezos for staking. And then uh, what happens is I get a uh, an opportunity, a random opportunity to stake for the network, and basically, and so. Uh, what happens is my machine gets a random opportunity to process the transactions. And I, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand where, how it's cryptographically secure at that level. I, I just don't, but that is like in practical terms, um, the, the okay, way it so, works. So proof yeah. of work is when you throw hardware and electricity and computational cycles at solving the problem. And that yes. means you're invested for, uh, now, if I understand what you're saying for Tezos, it's more like an escrow. Right, so yes, an escrow and, and, is when you you put things into an account and until the deal is done. Like you put a, a stuff into a third party account between you and a house seller until the deal is done and and whatever it is. So it's more like you are tying up the value of your coins for a certain period of time in order to uh, to be part of the network and, and process things. Is that right? Yes, and on a regular basis, and whenever you do successfully uh, bake for the network a block. That's still locked up for like three weeks, and you don't get it till long afterwards. It doesn't get unlocked and given to you. And when it's locked up, you also have to lock up like, uh, like so. I like I forget what the bond is exactly right now, but to make like twenty tezos, you're locking up five hundred. And if anyone catches you doing anything shady, you forfeit uh, that you know, that bond that you've put on the network. And so, and also so, anytime, so, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Anytime someone is baking a block, there's, I believe, 32 endorsers who are watching the transaction and, you know, looking for if they did anything shady and supporting that transaction or not. And then the, and then everyone else in the network is running an accuser. That's another level of watching to make sure nobody's doing anything suspicious. Right. Okay. Okay. So what does this do to volume of transactions? I'm sorry if this is really boring and technical to everyone else, but that's sort of my big question with regards to altcoins, because um, the, the Bitcoin community, for, for better or for worse, and we talked about this in one of the roundtables, which we should do another one soon, by the way, but yeah. they are all looking at things and saying, okay, how are we going to solve this? And it, it didn't go the right way or whatever it is. But nonetheless, these are the decisions that have been made. Yeah. So how, uh, what is the... Um, number of transactions uh, should uh, Tezos get to Bitcoin size and scale um, uh, and user base and and all of that. What are the number of transactions that can be processed that you know of? Uh, I think, if I recall correctly, Tezos is at sixty transactions per second. But let me double check that. Can I uh, just jump in on this because I think I might be able to help a little please, bit, even though please, I don't please know God the specifics. Help us. Of Tezos <laughs> here. Do. So, um, okay. So, as I understand it, um, Tezos isn't going to have a higher transaction volume per um, per byte, I guess. Per, per not necessarily per block, but per uh, network traffic per any for any given node because it still runs on the same blockchain and it's got um, a more complex uh, script scripting system. So you need a little more verification. Um, so it runs basically on the same type of, uh, blockchain and, uh, uh, that's not, uh, accurate from my understanding. It's already, uh, processing more transactions than Ethereum or has the capacity to, and Ethereum already processes more transactions than Bitcoin. Well, that's, that's in terms of per, uh, per block, not per, um, network byte, is it? 
I'm I'm not. I know like per second is the way I've looked at it, which is like how many transactions can you process over time. I know I know that I don't know about per oh, block. right, right. So most of that is because of the proof of stake versus proof of work thing. Whereas with uh, Bitcoin, you need to mine, you need to prove that you've done the work. With uh, with Tezos, uh, either you need to prove that you own enough. Uh, you have enough, basically, to make a vote that say that says, "Hey, I'm invested enough in this system to be able." Okay, to so have sorry, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into the nuts and right, bolts. Yes, I hate to sorry, be sorry. But my question is, um, if, if so, Tezos is, is a decentralized blockchain, is that right? So everyone has to update to reflect transactions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when you scale up to the number of users, the number of nodes, and so on, how does it solve the fact that everyone's got to update, which is going to bottleneck your transactions? How does it scale up so that everyone's got a bottle? bottle. Um, sorry, I was. Okay, so you say to... it's doing what? Sixty transactions a second, right? If I, I'm looking for it right now, I believe that is the case. Yeah, that it, it okay, already has. That's, so that's where it is now, right? That's where it is now. But the question is, let's say it starts having to do ten thousand transactions a second or whatever. That's mm-hmm. the big challenge, right? How how do you update everyone's blockchain all around the world to reflect these new? Uh, transactions, or how many do you need to to do it in order to consider the transaction valid and not double spent or anything? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, well, part of that is in that uh, regular updating over time. It's like, okay, we're good enough for right now, and that works. Like, like, and also, like you were saying, like the salt and pepper. It's like, don't try to solve tomorrow's problem today necessarily when we've got to be successful today. Uh, and so. Uh, what we do is we plan to change over time to reflect that, to, to head in that direction. And like we've already seen, Tezos went from like 100,000 contract calls to over a million, I think, in April. And the network has seamlessly you know, taken that on. Uh, so I think the plan there is to, is, again, is to scale over time and scale the way it has been consistently. Uh, someone said, I think Tezos is a thousand TPS transactions per block and the block time is 60 seconds. So I know for a fact already, uh, Tezos is doing the test network for a tender mint update, which will drop the block time down to either 30 or 15 seconds and drastically increase the uh, transactions per second. Uh, and from understanding the fees, it'll lower the fees. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there is a physical limitation, right? So to, to double spend is to say, I'm going to buy one thing from guy A and one thing from guy V, guy B. Now, you can't allow the double spend to, to, to go to guy A and guy B because then it's useless. Every currency then would be useless in that situation. Sure. And so the question is, how do you avoid the double spending? Now, maybe it's with the staking, which is that if you double spend, uh, you forfeit your 500 Tezos or whatever it is, or with the blockchain, it's like, well, no, it's got to, the first one's got to go through and everyone's got to accept it before you can spend the second, as far as I understand it. So, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that's just the question is is the scalability right? Can you get to a world currency through Tezos? And that to me, if you know, if I was like Mr. Tezos, and you certainly are, as far as I can tell, which is a great <laughs> thing. But if I was Mr. Tezos, you know, I would demand of the architecture, okay, show me, uh, show me how this thing scales, show me how this can be a potential replacement to Bitcoin, show me how this can run, you know, one percent of the world's economy. And yeah. and that would be and this is so I used to do this sort of back in the day right so this is just annoying experience guy right so we would deal with big corporations and those big corporations would require a number of things so back in the day they would require and this is going back 
quite a ways now, but they would require that we have a solution to the Y2K problem, right? And my yeah. solution was if it's a two-digit year uh, and it is greater than 30, then I'm going to assume 1930. Otherwise, I assume it's 2029. And you had to give, you know, how it was implemented, how it ran, how it worked, what the failsafe was, what the backup was. Was it at the data level or the form level, like the database level? So you had to have an answer to the Y2K issue. And I spent a lot of time doing that. And uh, the second thing was, does it scale, right? Because, you know, it's one thing to, I would bring in a laptop and I'd show the computer uh, software running. And people would say, well, that's great. You know, that's, that's on a computer. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, what happens when we have 100 people locked in? What happens yeah. if we have a thousand people locked in? Uh, and uh, what happens if the data lines are slow for these people? And so I ended up uh, with uh, we had distributed database that would all synchronize and and uh, overnight. And because uh, you know there was like I remember testing when we were working with Northern Telecom or Nortel, uh, testing their data lines across the Atlantic. Uh, this is like twenty five years ago, and we would get in five k a second uh, sometimes at best. And uh, the software was it was the most annoying kind of unusable. Uh, which is that it's just really slow. You don't know if it's saved. You can't exit. It's just kind of stalling there, waiting for confirmation from the database that has received the data. And so what I had to do was I had to stress test all of my modules, right? So all of my code, I would say, okay, well, we're going to simulate 100 users, and here's a speed and response. We're going to simulate 100 users on 100K data line, which was fairly fast back then. And so I won't get into all the details, but yeah. you'd have to provide this big, thick binder of, Okay, here's how it scales. Yeah, and the one thing I look for, and and to you know, for better or for worse, Bitcoin has made these decisions about scalability, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's like, well, we're going to keep the block size small so it can be decentralized, and it's going to slow things down. And you know, we can't handle ten percent of the world's economy as yet, but we've got this Lightning Network, there's a parallel preclearance or whatever it's you would want to call it. So they've been wrestling with that issue now. The um, uh, so it, it, the, the this is my advice to the Tezos community again, like 15, 20 years of, of software Please, stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah, my advice is you know, stress test the shit out of this stuff. Uh, you know, there's got to be you know, you've got to have to have a Tezos sandbox where you can just simulate you know, people pounding Tezos from left, right, and center <laughs> from various speed data lines and all of that because um, that, that's the real question right now. If you've got a solution. You know, and I think one of the solutions in Bitcoin was they were going to compress the block and then send it that way and then decompress it on the other end, which, you know, would certainly solve some of the issues of, of transmission over slower data lines or whatever. But um, the, the stress test question is, is a really important one when it comes to software because everything looks great in the demo, right? And my, my software was blindingly fast in the demo. And then implementation sometimes could get a bit... Uh, a bit sketchy. Uh, I can remember one time, this is just stupid stuff that I remember from many years ago. Uh, one time uh, uh, we had um, the, the question of output, right? So when, when the computer was, when the software was running on a server, if you wanted a report, how would you get it, right? And uh, one of the coders wrote a really cool program that uh, built uh, a report that was in the, the database, rebuilt it as a rich text format which wasn't quite as pretty, but definitely got you the data. So we would, people would request a report. This guy's code would say, oh, how does the report look on the server? We couldn't send it to the client. It doesn't really matter why. We couldn't send the report directly because it was in a custom architecture, but we could send them an RTF file. We could redirect them to an RTF file. So yeah. this guy wrote code to scan the layout of the report on the server, convert it to rich text format, and then redirect the browser to the rich text format. They'd get their report. 
Anyway, so we tested the crap out of this. We stress tested it. The, the code was clean and beautiful and fast. I was really envious. He was a very smart coder. And, um, but when we finally went to install it, um, it didn't work if someone wasn't logged into the server. Because, of course, we'd only ever tested it with someone logged into the server to check the code, right? And so it was a huge problem. I was out there, and <laughs> suddenly it was like, hey, where's my report? It's like, well, this worked. And then you're like, oh, no, I get a flight this afternoon, which, by the way, I didn't make. But um, so, you know, is it stress test in a sort of real world scenario? And of course, I said to the guy, look, just leave, us a, leave someone locked in on the server and you've got your reports. And he's like, no, that's against our corporate security standards. We can't leave someone logged into the server. It's a vulnerability. I'm like, please? <laughs> Can you pretend I'm Hillary Clinton? Will you, will you do that? Uh, so, yeah, we had, to, we had to work like hell. to, to And so this sort of stress testing and, and real world stuff. Uh, I guess my concern with some of the altcoins is, uh, yes, they look fantastic in a, a smaller case scenario, just as when I had, you know, five testers pounding on my code on a LAN, uh, it was fine. But uh, then when you had people in, you know, 12 different countries around the world putting on it, it wasn't. So I guess that's always my question as to what's is, is this, the stress test stuff. Yes. Like, can, you, can you show how uh, scalable this thing is? Because the only way that any kind of crypto is going to gain real value is if it can displace a fairly significant chunk of the economy. And Bitcoin is hammered for its scalability issues, which I completely understand. And there's, you know, people were working on that. But I don't know how other cryptos solve the scalability issue because in general, the altcoins are relatively small uh, in terms of penetration and therefore they don't have the scalability issues nearly as much. Sorry for everyone who's what? like listening in. Okay. Like hopelessly I get technical. I, 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 I'm not too... Uh, sorry, I'm making a quick uh, Steph, yeah, I'm going to get back to you on a better uh, response to how Tezos resolves that problem. Uh, Please, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I say this with no, like, oh, it doesn't. You know, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I don't know because I don't know much about the coin as a whole. But uh, I, I am genuinely curious uh, how, how the scalability thing uh, plays out. And, and do you mind if I mention real quick the, uh, the free domain staking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I am running a uh, a... Tezos staking operation and the purpose of, to in order to get some donations over to Steph. So if you go over there, uh, you can go to jaredwoodard.com forward slash free domain staking. And there you can find not only instructions, but also like a quick disclaimer of what to expect and, and where your expectations should be. This is kind of a beta thing. I've, I haven't run an open public staking service with people, you know, delegating to me. So there might be some hiccups involved there. Uh, so, you know, buyer beware, all that good stuff. But uh, the, the end goal is uh, you go over there, you stake your Tezos to this address, and then uh, I, instead of me taking – normally a banking operation will compete in the marketplace and take a percentage of, of your rewards. You know? So instead of you having to be at home and writing all this complicated stuff, someone else does it, and then they just take a piece of the, uh, the banking reward. And so that the I'll charge a fifteen percent fee, and I'm going to get as much of that over to Steph as a donation uh, as I can. So because I've got to, I unfortunately got to claim it as income and all that for taxes and stuff, and, and so that you know. I uh, I also does. wanted to mention that all I hear now because I'm drooling is bacon reward. Bacon reward. <laughs> I'm just telling you that right now. I'm like I've got crispy and and frying in the nude and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, go on. Excellent. Sound, sound, sounds delightful. Um, so yeah, just uh, head over to jaredwoodard.com forward slash free domain staking. There's also a link there for a Telegram channel. If you have any questions, I'm happy to help out, happy to answer questions. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for anybody that uh, that does so and wants to participate. And I really appreciate that too. It's, uh, it's wonderfully kind and uh, thank you.
you know, you're quite welcome. I mean, and I, you know, I want to gird your expectations too. It might be a little bit before it is a, a big thing, but then it's also one of those things that once we get it built and running, it's kind of self-sustaining. You know, that's that's great. Sorry, I'm just uh, just canceling the Lambo. Just a sec. <laughs> yeah, right I would. Back. I'd hold off on the Lambo for just a moment. Oh, come on, man! <laughs> it's crypto. It's instant Lambo. That's how it works. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So thanks for everyone's patience. So maybe it was interesting. I'm not sure. But if you wanted to bring up uh, any other you know, concerns, questions, issues, I'm happy to, happy to hear and chat whatever's on your mind. Slack, do you have something you wanted to share? Oh, I mean, I, I, I have been chunking at the bit to answer the, uh, the um, scalability versus uh, centralization thing. But if you do want it. to move off. Do it. Crypto, hey, if, if nobody else is, you know, that's their punishment, you know, for okay. being shy is you get more technical stuff. Sorry, right. man. We gave you a shot. Okay. All right. So um, the uh, major thing to consider here is that you've been talking about blockchain stuff, meaning one blockchain, everybody has to synchronize it. Uh, there have to be blocks and they have to be linked to one another. That's not the only way uh, cryptocurrencies can work. There's also um, more recent uh, directed acyclic graph coins. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Uh, assume no. Okay. Um, all right. So it, it's basically instead of a single chain, you have different configurations. You can think of it as maybe every account has its own chain. Think of it as basically a tree of blocks where the... Um, the branches can interleave between other branches. So let's say I'm sending a transaction to another account. I uh, publish basically a block containing that individual transaction to the network. It gets sent over to that uh, tree uh, branch, basically, and then they kind of interlink between each other without getting too technical, obviously. Um, And uh, with uh, this kind of system, you don't... So right now it's all or nothing Um, with regular blockchains. You have to synchronize the whole thing or you have to trust someone else. When you have a tree of um, basically branching paths um, of uh, the transaction history, um, you can only synchronize what you're interested in. Like if there are, uh, if there are accounts that you've never touched, you don't have to know about them unless they, send you money and then you verify that they have the money that they're claiming to have. So that means you can, you can still decentralize um, as you can still have zero trust. um, Meaning you can verify everything that you're interested in yourself that you've received money from while at the same time, not having to store the entire transaction history of, you know, the entire system. So that's how you might be able to get, both um, decentralization because everyone's still verifying the transactions that they're interested in um, and you have scalability because you no longer have to synchronize absolutely everything. Now, uh, that's, that's, you know, I, I completely get it. Like, it's the same thing that sort of when I was working with data, database synchronization back in the day, we would say uh, one, one of the solved the issue of slow data lines, which we said, okay, well, why doesn't Paraguay just synchronize with Paraguay's data? Like, why on earth does Paraguay care about what's going on in Norway? It's a different language, right? They, they don't care, right? 
So we had to slice and dice the data and we went down to the city in Paraguay, like they only need their own data. And so we would simply assume a subset of the most interested data or the most relevant data. And that's how we would uh, synchronize uh, the data issues. And uh, yeah, I can certainly I can certainly understand that. Um, I guess uh, uh, the challenge is trying to figure out which is the most relevant to everyone. And of oh, course, yeah. the other thing, too, is that you always have to have, as you well know, uh, the, the, the troll factor, right? So if you have something like this, which says, oh, well, we don't have to synchronize the whole thing. The first thing that trolls and thieves and scammers are going to try and do is figure out, okay, how do we game this system so that we can double spend, right? Of course. I mean, that's sadly, that's, you know, and if you're only, and I think, I mean, I think, block, I think the general Bitcoin blockchain thing says, well, you got to synchronize everything and therefore you can't scam anything. Uh, and I think that the subset of data aspect of things is very prone to that kind of, oh, well, you know, if we can do this subset and do, you know, one VPN from Paraguay and one from Norway, and it looks completely unrelated, then we could double spend, you know, that kind of stuff. I guess that would be my first, I mean, could probably tons of other issues, but that would be the first sure. thing I think of. So, um, the, the, specifically, the, when I'm saying what you're only interested in, I mean, um, what's only relevant to your account, meaning you can trace... Uh, the entire history of all transactions that are related to your account, which will be, I don't know, depending on your account, uh, how old it is, how many transactions you've received might be something between, I don't know, um, uh, 10 thousandth of the entire transaction history, or it might be 50% or something if you're running an exchange. So you're still going all the way up or I guess down the tree to the root of the sort of initial origin transaction of the entire system. Um, but you can go through all the, a whole bunch of sub-branches or just basically one or two or three little paths. Does that okay, make sense? But wouldn't, wouldn't someone need to have the whole thing? Um, uh, it, it, uh, I don't really know, actually. Um, I would I mean, say it's kind probably of an important not. Question, right? No, because I would say it, probably sorry, not. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I, no, I, I would imagine. I mean, just to to absolutely prove there's no double spending, I think someone would need to have the whole thing. Now, if someone if someone does need to have the whole thing, then the problem is then that whoever has the whole thing is vulnerable to, you know, taking it down to to hacking it. Well, I guess they're also vulnerable to hacking, but it would be a central point of pressure that Bitcoin was specifically trying to avoid by keeping transaction size small and requiring the blockchain to be updated uh, everywhere that's how they make sure that there's not one central place and listen I, I, not having a pain point not having a central pain point of vulnerability uh, i know about all of that i mean that's I don't think my that's entire possible. business that's my entire business model right my entire business model was like hey i got people who want to advertise on my show but if people advertise on my show then that's a great place for people to um well, um, pressure advertisers to stop advertising on my show. Right? So if they wanted to deplatform me, that would be uh, pretty bad. Now, you know, I went for a good deal of time, and then what they said was, okay, well, we can't get his advertisers, so we'll go for his payment, payment platforms or whatever, right? So there's always some way in which people will try and, and, and get you to stop uh, doing whatever it is that you're trying to do. And that's sort of my, my question. So if there's a place where you do need some centralized clearinghouse of information, then you have... Um, You've you've got an efficiency, right? Which is you don't need to synchronize all the data, but you have a deficiency in that if you do need uh, someone to be to be the central clearinghouse of of the transactions, uh, sort of final authority, so to speak, or the final arbiter, so to speak, then the problem, of course, is that 
uh, you now have a huge vulnerability that uh, uh, people can just shut down, you know, maybe just the long-term part of your network by, by hitting that, if that makes sense. Yep. So the specific, um, I, I guess, a little bit of disclosures have been some of this stuff. Uh, now, I'm talking about, there are a couple of, uh, uh, there, there are a couple of uh, coins that run on this sort of thing. There's like a handful right now. Um, the one that I'm most familiar with is Nano, or used to be Rayblox, um, from a couple of years back. Uh, now, I've uh, done quite a bit of work on it. I've uh, written um, a client for it. I've uh, written a sort of database stuff uh, for, uh, for it. Um, so that's the one I'm most familiar with that I can kind of talk about, but I don't want to get too technical into the weeds, aside from just to answer your specific question of um, if anyone needs um, to have oh, the no, sorry, transaction Sorry, if you don't need the backstory introduction, yeah. we can just, you know, we're all tech, well, most of it sorry, tech, yeah. yeah, we can get to the meat of the matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, okay, so um, the, the philosophy there is basically um, the most interested party parties will have the most, um, will store the most data. So uh, an exchange, for example, will want to have 100% of the transaction history. And they're also the most interested in, you know, keeping the thing afloat if they're heavily invested in it. And this is also a proof of stake type system where the more, um, uh, the more you have in your, um, in your wallet, the more weight your vote has on whether or not a transaction is valid. I'm sorry. I thought there was going to be more. Is there is that that's it? Oh, no, I don't no. mean that's <laughs> it. Like that's bad. I just want to make sure I understand. Oh uh, no, no. I mean, I again, I I don't want to get. We'll save the technical stuff for a, a crypto roundtable or something. I don't know. Okay. So, um, does anybody else, if you've studied this kind of stuff, uh, is there anybody else who has uh, thoughts or issues about only synchronizing subsets of? financial data. I mean, I can certainly think of like, okay, so what, what would Amazon need in terms of that kind of stuff? Well, I would assume it would need, well, a hell of a lot, right? And, uh, well, you know, would that be so large that it would slow everything down? With, is that another point of vulnerability and so on? Uh, multinational corporations, you know, that kind of stuff, multi-currency, that's big and brutal stuff to, to try and deal with. So does anybody have any sort of other thoughts? Because I'm sure this was completely examined and explored in the Bitcoin evolution, which doesn't mean that the Bitcoiners were right. But, you know, this would have been chewed over. Remember I was saying earlier, always assume that everyone else has thought of, a thousand other people have thought of your ideas before. Mm -hmm. and oh, this so, isn't my idea specifically. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I just, I mean, when it comes to, okay, well, let's just not synchronize the whole blockchain. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can answer what that. Was the, yeah. what, do you know what the conversations were with mm -hmm. Bitcoin about that? Yeah, so there's an option. Sorry, can I just throw in one thing? Like, yeah. uh -huh. so in, in section eight of the white paper, Satoshi laid out something called simplified payment verification. And then that is exactly what he's talking about, that you can have wallets that can look at the just the block headers, which is a, a small part of the blocks. And then you can tell from just the block header whether or not your transactions that your your individual transactions that you care about are in the latest um, are in the blockchain. So Satoshi said that uh, like individuals don't need to run full nodes because they could run this um, this this uh, SPV wallets 
instead and then just and then have just as much certainty that their transactions haven't been double spent and then when you talk to the bitcoin core community uh they they say oh satoshi was just wrong about that that part of the white paper we should just delete it because it's it's just incorrect and then i've heard you know their arguments for why uh for why he was incorrect but i, I never understood what their issue with it is to me i mean yeah i don't i don't necessarily I, i'm sort of thinking about do i want on my blockchain in my house uh somebody uh you know buying a car in paraguay uh well it seems a bit remote uh, it seems a bit removed uh, obviously if i want to buy that car then i guess i'd need that but how much computational power is needed to filter and sort all of the potentially relevant transactions and make sure that you're up to date. And it would also have to anticipate to some degree what you're going to buy next, right? Because if yeah, I just it, decide to go and buy a if, car in Paraguay, I'd need some Paraguay data to even initiate that, right? And maybe maybe Satoshi changed his mind later on. But if you were going to talk to him in 2008 and ask him that same question, he would say, you don't have to. You can have yeah. just as much confidence in your transactions as somebody who runs a full node by using this simplified node. Yeah, and then, that's right back to me in, two, in 1995, working with Nortel, saying, well, Paraguay doesn't need Norway's data, right? And they, yeah, Paraguay doesn't need Norway's data. Okay, so we'll just do subset, and there's no point synchronizing the whole thing. Now, head office does need the whole synchronization, but head office was pretty fast data. So, but yeah, I, I, I yeah, mean, I understand yeah. just the subset thing, um, and I'm not... You know, I don't have enough knowledge of the history of Bitcoin, and I, even though I read that white paper many years ago, I didn't remember that part. So we have to assume that everybody's thought about the subset of data stuff, and everybody's aware that the subset of data stuff would make Bitcoin blindingly fast. You know, I mean, relative to you know everything needing to be updated, and I would not assume that uh, the reason they didn't go for the subset of data stuff was just because they were all idiots. I know you're not saying that, but that's sort of the temptation. Well, it's obvious to me. Sure. Uh, and and therefore, uh, you know, obviously they're it. And then you go down that road and you're like, oh, okay, well, there's the problem. There's this problem. They kind of chewed through all of this before. It's like a, a coding book I read when I was younger, written by a guy. I think he was at Microsoft or something. And he was saying, you know, like there's a, so that you, you're working on maintaining some code. And I did code maintenance. It was my very first job was, was I did write some new code, but my very first job was a lot of code maintenance. And there's a big chunk of code here. You don't know what the hell it's for. It doesn't make any sense. It's not commented very well. And you're like, oh, you know, we can probably just get rid of this, right? Yeah. But here's the thing, right? He said, okay, so the reason that code, you know, he said he did this early in his career. And the reason why that code was there, funnily enough, turned out because... Uh, if somebody was saving a file to a floppy disk and popped the floppy disk out in the middle or before it was fully saved, how do you recover from that? How do you recover the data? How do you make sure it all stays in memory? And so that's what that big chunk of code was for. And this is a question, I was actually posing this to my daughter the other day, sort of part of homeschooling. Um, it is, let's say you're uh, in the middle of a field is a gate. And you know it's got maybe a tiny bit of fencing on one side or the other. and you just bought this field, and, and in the middle of this field, there's this gate. Okay, so what do you do with it? And, you know, the general tendency is probably just a vestigial leftover, just rip it up and, and have the, you know, the whole meadow or the whole field be clear. But, but the argument is, for God's sakes, don't rip it up until you know what it's there for. Now, I mean, we could sit here and theorize as to why there'd be this gate in the middle of nowhere, you know, like why did 
Joan of Arc find a sword in the middle of nowhere. There's a whole section of a movie kind of explaining how that could happen. But until you know why the gate was put there, you know, maybe there was a maybe there's a ball that breaks loose in the other field and and you've got to just have some place to hide behind or I don't know, it could be any number of things, right? Maybe it's a marker of where somebody buried treasure and if you get rid of it, you won't know it and it could be any number. But until you know, right? So that's my question. Okay, subset of data stuff. Yeah, it makes total sense. But, you know, the humility, for me, the big humility is, uh, okay, so why wasn't it pursued? It is such an obvious solution that would make Bitcoin, I mean, almost infinitely more scalable and infinitely more digestible to the masses um, because you could have the mathematical proof of, of how it could scale to pretty much the entire world economy over time because the bigger it gets, you just slice and dice the data to smaller and smaller chunks to update. But mm-hmm. it wasn't pursued. And I don't know why it wasn't pursued. I mean, again, I can think of reasons from my historical slice of data synchronization across disparate nodes kind of stuff back in the database world. But there's a reason why. Uh, and yeah. uh, maybe it was yeah. a bad reason, but it's also a reason that has survived for 10 years. And if it was a bad reason, usually it wouldn't survive that long, if that makes sense. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Well, just to make sure, like, this, the SPV wallets, they do exist, you know, you know there's there's a lot of them that are pretty popular but then when you talk to individuals who want to run their own full nodes from their house and you say why do you need to process every transaction why why can't you just process the ones that matter to you and when i hear their answers it just it doesn't make any sense to me and, and which is fine i don't have to understand everything but until i have an answer that explains it to me i'm going to default to what satoshi said and he said that this was good enough so, Wait, so you mean the subset of data could be good enough? Yeah, that's what Satoshi said. I'm going to go with that until somebody gives me a convincing argument, uh, you know, otherwise. Right, so, and I can certainly understand that. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, so with Bitcoin, there's two different, there's processing and there's storing. Um, processing as it propagates through the network and then storing as it makes its way into the block and actually chained up. Uh, and uh, so... Basically, the first part is propagation, and the second is, uh, you know, actual databasing. Um, and propagation, as far as I understand, every system we have more or less needs to propagate. I think it's everything. It's probably not everything, but there can be some statistical methods which decide what transactions are more, should be blasted more, which should be blasted less. But um, so with uh, Bitcoin, there's only one linear sequence of blocks that you can trim from the end once you've verified it. And you can keep a certain uh, recent, um, I guess, window that you keep uh, and the rest you've already verified, you can kind of store them away and you don't have to store them on the disk. Um, right. And so to me, the challenge is what if there's drift? Right now, if you have one central what do you mean? database, so, sorry, so, what do you mean drift? So, so drift is uh, something doesn't add up, something doesn't match. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Right. So, um, so if you have a centralized repository, which I guess in in Bitcoin is the blockchain that's everywhere, then there's no possibility of drift because everything has to be updated everywhere. And again, I yes. know I'm simplifying it ridiculously, but that's sort of my understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's how you solve. And we had, you know, back in the Nortel days. Um, we had a centralized database, which, you know, if there was a contradiction, the centralized database at head office, which is the one they reported their taxes and all of that stuff on, that's the one that won, right? And, or, you know, at least there'd be a manual review process. But if you have only 
bits and burps of data all over the place that's all supposed to knit together to a coherent whole, what happens if there's drift? In other words, if there's one entry in one place that doesn't match an entry in another place for whatever reason, it, it can happen, right? It could just be data disconnections or some local file corruption or, you know, hard drives fail and introduce squeaky elements into the data and then it doesn't match anymore and which one's valid. And it could be any number of things, right? So that's uh, Bitcoin solves that with everyone's got to update. But the slice and dice bit. Uh, and the other thing too is that the more, like you think of Amazon, how much data would they need to run? Uh, it, it's huge, right? Because they have transactions. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of transactions emitted all over the world, right? And so the challenge for the slice and dice stuff is the same as the challenge for Bitcoin, which is the larger the data transmission that's required. In other words, the business that's doing the most business is going to have the slowest results because it needs to transmit and update the blockchain, uh, even if it's a subset. It's such a huge subset relative to everyone else that it's just massive. So you have a problem in that people who are doing very little economic activity um, get their stuff processed very quickly, whereas people who are doing massive amounts of uh, economic activity get their stuff processed really slowly, which is kind of the exact opposite of what you'd want. And again, so, I don't know the answers to all these things. I'm just saying these are the, you know, when it comes to the altcoins and stuff, it's like these are the questions I'd like to see answered. And I hear a lot about cool features and stuff like that and and all, and all speed in small environments, but uh, I'm looking for something that's going to replace central banking. Like, <laughs> that's my thing. I'm, I'm not looking to make a quick killing in a pump and dump. And not that I'm saying anyone here is. I'm just saying my, I'm looking for something that's going to replace central banking. I, I'm, gonna, I'm looking yeah. for something that's going to mean that it was worth studying Australian economics for years with no payoff, right? So, uh, and and if I'm looking for something that's going to replace central banking, you know, then by God, you know, someone's got to have a solution to this, uh, this issue. And uh, right now, Bitcoin does. It's kind of bulky. And it needs a secondary layer, I think, for smaller transactions. But that's what I'm looking for from other coins. Yeah, I honestly don't think there's going to be a single solution. It's probably going to be a plurality. Yeah, I'm, I'm on that sense of uh, crypto is going to be a plurality. But on, on the DAG thing, um, so the history of DAGs looks kind of bad. It's, I'd personally, I'd like to see it uh, work practically over a long period of time. Uh, so like IOTA is one of the more famous DAGs, and they lost like had issues of losing funds here and there. Yep. I'm looking at the nano community and on their wiki, they're like sustainability. Nano hopes to supplant. Uh, do you, you guys know that you've, you've broken with the convention of speaking English at this point, right? Are you guys just aware of that? <laughs> nano and, it's actually pronounced dab and my daughter introduced me to it, but anyway, go on, go on with your thing. So, so nan, nan, I'm looking at the nano wiki and it's like, as they're, a part of the wiki is sustainability. Nano hopes to supplant Bitcoin as a more sustainable cryptocurrency through legislation, regulation, and climate advocacy. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound like a very decentralized project. And that's one of the the big uh, disparages usually when I hear against DAGs is they're centralized. You Jared, know? And I'm I, sorry. That's from Wikipedia. And no, God, please no, no. don't quote Wikipedia here without crying. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Hey. That that's that's fair. Wikipedia is uh, a DAG, though. Is that a coin? What is that? No, Nano is is a coin that uses this DAG uh, approach, and like what is? But what is DAG? I'm sorry, I'm not. It's oh, the, oh, the oh, sorry. graph. That's the thing yeah. I was talking about. It's a what? Directed acyclograph. That's what it stuff. stuff. It's the tree with no, intertwining stuff. Yeah. yeah, as okay, opposed to a blockchain. Yeah, yeah. And uh, from understanding, like with crypto, with, with uh, cryptography is capable of all kinds of awesome magical stuff. And maybe it is possible to be cryptographically certain that nothing going on. But 
I, I'm not someone who's going to be capable of t- understanding that te- uh, technologically. I would need to see it work practically in the world. And IOTA, like these projects have, don't have the best reputation or the best history. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I uh, was, so like I said, I've worked on or I looked at IOTA and never touched it with Paul. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it reeked of snake, snake oil to I, me. I'd recommend if you love Nano and you want to prosper, I would recommend casting those commies out of the community because that is some that is no bueno. Uh, so, so I mean, yeah, I follow so, their. Sorry, I, I, I just want to. Sorry, okay. didn't you guys want to take that offline? That's pretty technical for us. Oh, copy. But yeah, I would yeah. say yep. so for me when it comes to altcoins, what I want to see is how you're going to replace the central bank. And again, Bitcoin has an answer. Is it perfect? I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, I have no idea. But it's it's working. Uh, it's working really well. We've got to 1% adoption, right? That's huge. Huge. We've got massive firms investing in Tesla, and we got Zuckerberg, and we got... Hey, once you got Paris Hilton, man, you got it, right? You got it. You just got it. And so that's my... Qu- now, if the altcoins are very serious people, and I assume that a lot of them are, right? But if they're very serious people, I mean, if I were doing an altcoin, I would say... Here's how it's going to replace central banking. Here's the data. Here's the facts. Here's the scalability testing. Here's, you know, we can get to, um, you know, 1% of the world economy. And here's our simulation. Um, and, you know, here's how it works. And, and here's how we deal with scalability uh, versus um, decentralization. I mean, th- th- that's what I want to see from people as opposed to, it's got this cool feature. And it's going to, that, that uh, I'm just very skeptical uh, regarding that stuff and the bitcoin people so as you know bitcoin was started to replace central bank right bitcoin was started out of the 0708 financial crash where satoshi was disgusted and rightly so with the bailouts and the this terrible financial system and so it's it's a mission to replace central banking and that doesn't mean it's the only thing that will ever work or the only thing that will ever matter i get all of that right but what i want to see from uh, altcoins is yeah show me how you're going to replace central banking now if you can't show me that um just my personal thing? Uh, no, not interested. Now, Bitcoin has shown us that. You know, will it work in the long run? Will it scale? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's been doing all right so far, so to speak. And so, and this is my, this is my you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm saying this to be hugely positive, which is, you know, if you're into an altcoin and you got an altcoin, then this is my, I don't know, 15, 20 years of software testing experience, making things work in a decentralized environment. With prim- so technology so primitive, it might as well have been two yogurt cups with a piece of string between them. So I have lots of bitter, painful, difficult, exciting, exhilarating experience with this centralization, decentralization, scalability stuff. I've just it's baked into my bones from coding for many years for large organizations with literally dial-up modem sometimes dial-up modems uh, as as the way of doing it. So I'm acutely aware of the slice. It's just one of these weird things that has given me experience in this area. Like so many things, it's just like. If God was writing my story, it's like, well, I put this plot point in so you could understand this challenge later on. So um, that's my challenge to the decentralized people. Um, oh, sorry, to the altcoin people. If you can come up with an answer for this, man, I'm I'm thrilled. And if you've got the seriousness of real, real-world scalability testing, I'm thrilled. I'm not thrilled with Ethereum because that's bullshit at the moment. <laughs> you know, trying to sell a book, as Jared and I were talking about this, and he's kind of the helping me do an NFT through T- to Tezos, but uh, Ethereum just does not work. Um, does not work as far as, uh, you know, just, just wanting an NFT. 
uh, wanting to sell a, a book for 25 bucks as an NFT, and uh, the fees are like, crazy high, like multiple <laughs> times higher. And so, like that, that's not now. Maybe they're solving it, working it on that kind of stuff. But uh, and and I, you know, I'm pretty sure you could do that through Bitcoin. I don't know. Maybe you could at the moment. You could probably do it through Lightning or or Sphinx or something like that. But that's my sort of challenge. If you if the people out there, you got an altcoin, more power to you. Like more competition, the better. I'm not down on altcoins. I just want to see people who are serious enough to say, okay, let's really test the hell out of this, and let's tell people how this is better than Bitcoin at replacing central banking. Because Bitcoin's got a hell of a head start and a hell of a proven record on one percent of the market doesn't mean you can't beat it. But man, you gotta you gotta bust your nuts at, at that corner of things, which is kind of boring and technical. But that's what's really gonna sell sell stuff. So, Seth, I really want to do this. You would like to hear, um, and I, I I can get the answer. I know the people in Tezos. You want to you want to to say or you want to see that we've done this this big test network, and we can say, hey, when we get to you know a, a million transactions, ten million transactions, a hundred million transactions, we're going to be able to scale. You want to know our path and plan forward for that. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you want. If you want people to put your money in, and you know, again, I respect the altcoin community, and I, I you know, and a lot of them don't. I, here's the sad thing: is that I went from being the fresh-faced programmer. I'm now the salt and pepper guy, saying, "Ah, technology is really cool, but you know, uh, have you have you tested the scalability? Because a lot of people are selling altcoins because massive market cap, and it's going to take yeah. over vast sections of the economy. And it's like, well, that's all well and good, and it's great if you can, and Bitcoin certainly can, but, but. Have you done the nuts to bolts testing that, you know, I had to sit there for weeks doing testing, compiling graphs and data. I, I think I even still have that binder somewhere, probably, of, of the tests that I did on my code back in the day uh, to make sure that the modules could handle uh, big, big loads. And the amount of optimization I had to do and compression, oh, it was a mess. Oh, it was actually a glorious mess. I kind of enjoyed the technical challenge, but that's, uh, that's what I want to see. I want to see the real world scalability scenarios and how you're going to get even to 1% of the world economy and sustain yourself as an architecture. Copy that. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, I can say from in, inside the conversation is like, uh, we're, we're definitely taking over banks. They're not going to have a chance. But I, I, I'm going to have to come and get the arguments for that. So thank you, Steph. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm, I'm always happy to help uh, whatever could replace central banking. I'm completely thrilled to do that <laughs> at, at any time, at any time of the day. All right. Any other thoughts, comments, issues? It's nice, nice dropping in with you guys and having a chat about this stuff. You caught me off guard with the Tezos challenge. I wasn't ready yet. I didn't know the answers. <laughs> you must always be ready. This is true. <laughs> always is be true. ready to sell. <laughs> hey, uh, I had one last thought. I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry. I know you're uh, maybe trying to get off, or no, no, no. Okay, I'm always um, trying to get off. Wait, sorry. About <laughs> um. So, like, I think you're presenting in what appears to me to be a false dichotomy, because you're saying that the choice is between scalability and decentralization, but, like, uh, the not every node is sort of equal when it comes to contributing to decentralization. So, if I have my garage and I, and I, I put 50 computers in there and I have them all running nodes, yeah, I've increased the node count on the planet by 50, but uh, I, because like those nodes aren't economically valuable, so whether or not they're there or not, it doesn't uh, 
it doesn't add to the decentralization of the system. And then from the Bitcoin Cash kind of perspective is that um, the only nodes that are necessary to, uh, to exist are the ones that are economically valuable. And then you know if they're economically valuable or not by whether or not you make money from running them. So, uh, yeah, if we if we made the the network so uh, resource consuming that you know not even one person could run a node, then that's a problem. But just because we make if we bump up the uh, resources needed to run a node uh, up to where one node drops off of the network, that, you know, that might be a, a good trade-off. And then in Bitcoin Core right now, or Bitcoin proper, they, there's no calculation that they're doing at all as far as um, figuring out where the appropriate trade-off is. This, the number that they are at right now was accidentally decided, and then they gave... Er- give every sense that they're not going to be um, <clears throat> moving uh, at all in the scalability direction, <clears throat> like at any point in the future. They, uh, um, so they're, they're not making a calculation when it comes to doing the trade-off. Kind of. So like, I'm perfectly happy with. Sorry, but them, I mean, uh, yeah. you, you, you could be right, of course, but. You just saying nobody's thinking about scalability or nobody the, the, the number was completely arbitrary. You know that's yeah. that's pretty damning. And again, you could be right, but there are a lot of really smart people in the Bitcoin space. But I've I been paying tons that of the numbers arbitrary or that nobody's planning for things or you know that's a pretty you got to be careful with these kind of broad generalizations. And again, maybe yeah. you're right, but yeah. that would not be my first guess. I mean, I've been paying tons of attention, and they've never given an argument for why one megabyte blocks or the is the correct number, or why two is better no, than. No, like, that's not true, yeah. though. No, that's not true. That's not true. Whether it's a megabyte or one point one megabytes or whatever it is, right? No, the whole argument, as far as I can tell, and you know, correct me where I'm astray, right? But the whole argument is: the bigger the block, the uh, less decentralization can occur. And so, again, right or wrong, like it or don't, there has been thought into it. You say, oh, but it was arbitrary. It's like, well, okay, but you can say it's arbitrary at the beginning, but it's worked to a trillion-dollar valuation. And, you know, I'm not like every success is perfect, but it's kind of tough to argue with success, if that makes any sense. And so they got to a trillion-dollar valuation, and you can say, you know, it's all made up, it's all arbitrary, it's all nonsense, and so on. It's like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, Or... Um, maybe there's more thought into it than you or I know about. And that's yeah, that's the challenge, which is what do you do when there's stuff you disagree with and it uh, doesn't make much sense to you, but is staggeringly successful. And you can just say, well, they're not putting any thought into it. But I would suggest that may not be um, the wisest approach, right? I mean, the, the wisest approach might be to just go and ask people in the community, uh, why did you decide this or why did you decide that? And to sort of try and... I- I've asked tons of people that, and no one has ever given me any reason why one mega. Maybe I'm asking the wrong people. And, no, and honestly, no, you're asking. I'm, you're probably asking. Yeah. You're probably asking why was it why was it objectively valuable in the to the nth degree for one megabyte, right? Okay, uh, that's not a particularly fair question, right? I mean, you gotta. It's like saying, well, 
why was the original IBM PC at 640 megs, right? Like, why? Show me the objective that was optimal and ideal. It's like, well, you, you had to decide something, right? You, you had to make some decision. And the decision that was made was uh, 640, right? And this is back in the day, right? Bill Gates saying, ah, 640 megs ought to be enough for anyone, right? And of course, back in the day, if we had perfect 5.1, you know, it kind of was, right? So that is the question to me. Uh, if you're asking, you know, show me the objective metric by which one meg was determined to be the perfect size and, and you know, the, every other option. That, like people, well, we had to decide something and it's been working, right? And you're saying, well, that's not objective. It's like, yeah, but we kind of do that a lot in life, right? I mean, you, you buy a house of a certain square footage, you know, so you buy a 2,000 square foot house and people say, yeah, but why? Why was it 2,000 square foot? Why wasn't it 2,100? Why wasn't it 1,900? It's like, yeah, it seemed about right. Right, and yeah, if you're looking so, for the exact yeah. answer, um, you know, you're probably going to be looking for a long time. Yeah, well, I'm and I'm fine with Bitcoin the way it is right now. I'm very happy for them. Uh, that I, I, I do believe it's a great advancement over central banking because you know this is going to enable people to live with a currency that doesn't have government, you know, money printing. But to me, I, I really want to the the I really want to also have a currency that you don't need to use banks to. To use and then you know right now sorry but you know, why bitcoin, would you in, in the long run maybe i'm sorry if i'm missing something but yeah. in the long run why would you necessarily need banks so right now bitcoin can do you know like four or five transactions per second if if adoption continues to where you know this the whole world is using this four or five a second kind of adds up to where each person only gets to do a transaction you know once every 80 years and yeah, then, no, no, I get so, that. I get that. So, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of all of the uh, parallel work that's being done to try and create a layer that can do transactions faster, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm excited about that. I'm glad that can happen. But like, let's say, and I, until that happens, until that materializes, I'm not convinced that that's a direction that is going to you know yield much fruit. And the and it. I, until that happens, I have to go with what I, where I think we're heading, and I think we're I think we're heading in a world where you can only use Bitcoin through banks. And then it would be great if some other thing comes along and makes that not the reality. And then I'll. Uh, isn't you that know, uh, again? My, I apologize if I'm way off base here. Sorry, yeah. I apologize if I'm way up. But isn't that sort of what the Lightning Network and other layers of, of faster settling is is for? Yeah, so that's what the, my for? issue with the. My issue with the Lightning Network is that uh, even even if it the even if it is very successful and they're able to work out you know routing problems and all that stuff, you still need to open and close channels on a somewhat regular basis, and each each opening and closing of a channel is a transaction on the base layer, and then if you only ever get to do a base layer transaction once in your life you're you're not going to be able to, i don't understand how the lightning network is going to be a functional long-term solution if you're not able to even open and close channels regularly or i mean like once a month or once a year or something like um expanding the base layer to me is a prerequisite for the lightning network being a viable long-term solution and then since and they, I don't, sorry to interrupt, I I, yeah. I don't know enough about the technology. If there's anybody else 
who does, I'd be be happy to hear about it. I I mean, obviously, yeah. There's no easy answer. Yeah, I'd happy to be. No yeah, if I'm wrong, then I'm completely happy to just like I'll, every you know, I'll just go. I'm I'm sorry, everybody. I was wrong. I I should have trusted the people more or something. But when I look at where this is heading, I don't think the Lightning Network is going to work based on their condition of never ever expanding the base layer. And so uh, it, so I'm glad. Even if so, if I'm right, it's still great that Bitcoin creates gives us the ability to have a currency without inflation but to me i it just it i want to also not to be able to use i want to be able to use it not going through a bank and then the lightning network does not seem to me like it's going to to get there so that's why i'm on other i'm on another project no, and I think that's great. But and and if there's another project that can solve this, uh, I would love to give a platform for that as well. But yeah, the centralization versus, um, uh, well, this the speed and the centralization being one of the same versus the decentralization and the survivability of attack and and power corrupting and so on. I am, yeah, I'm I'm very clean. It seems to me that these are kind of wrapped up in the laws of physics. So uh, again, it, it 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 that's my sort of understanding that you kind of have to make these trade offs. Yeah, you, you one dial no, goes uh, up and one dial goes yeah. down, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. And but the, it, but it's it's it, because you said we know we don't have very many uh, good objective ways of proving this out. You know, there kind of comes a point where you just make a judgment call, and then the judgment call that's kind of uh, in the Bitcoin core or you know, Bitcoin proper community i just disagree with i don't think that it just it just as a personal opinion that the 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 trade-off that they're making the amount of scalability that they are sacrificing for the amount of centralization that they're getting in return for it i don't think that's a good deal i think right. we would i i just i'm not going to buy into that <laughs> i mean i have a little no, and, bit and i've like, said this before and for those who haven't heard it i mean my, my sense of how things are going to shake out if this problem can't be solved and i'm not convinced that it can be and neither are you of course right is that you've got the gold and silver right gold silver and copper for those who were back in the dungeons and dragon days right you had your gold well you had your platinum coins you had your gold coins you had your silver coins you had your copper coins and maybe bitcoin is the platinum and the the gold, so it's used for big transactions, and maybe there's something else uh, that's going to be used for smaller transactions, uh, and you can have sort of parallel systems, and then there'll be exchanges between the two, right? In the same way that you could go and, what was it in D&D? You could get like 20 silver coins made a gold coin, or 10 silver coins made a gold coin, something I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, so, yeah, I mean, this is why, you know, it makes sense to me what you're doing. If you don't believe this problem can be solved by Bitcoin, then Bitcoin will be used for larger, slower transactions. Uh, maybe it would be used from the business to business. I think on one of the very first uh, investment roundtables, I was talking about the business to business sector, which, again, I know really well because that's where I did my entrepreneurship. We didn't sell to customers at all. We only sold to Fortune 500 corporations, basically. And so the business-to-business -business sector is huge. Maybe that's where Bitcoin is going to be more. Uh, maybe there'll be convertibility to something leaner and and so on. But then the faster it gets, the more you're going to need to centralize and the more vulnerable it's going to be to control the disruption. So, um, yeah, these are. I, I love that we've got some of the best minds on the planet working on these issues. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, it's the one thing I'd be doing if I wasn't doing this is, uh, is doing that. 
because it's really cool. Yeah, we, we, we thank you for, for everything you do. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. All right. Anything people wanted to mention as we uh, have oh, to take uh, another question or comment? Steph, you... just, sorry, I just want to correct something real quick. Uh, an error of mine. I was telling people where to go for free domain staking. Iphen in my own uh, d- uh, domain. So in your it's, excitement. Uh, yes. So it's jaredwooder.com forward slash uh, free domain hyphen staking. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, thanks for the correction. Ah, you know, and it's funny that we're including a dash when we're talking about cryptos. Boom. Could be the last <laughs> dad joke of the day. Because dash is a crypto and. <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. That actually that actually came up because someone was like in the Tezos chat, like we need a rebranding, and I was like, the, the last rebranding I remember was Dash, and that wasn't exactly a success story as I understand it. <laughs> right. I, what was the history of Dash? I don't really know much about it. It was originally Darkcoin, and well, back this is 2014. I was I sold Darkcoin on eBay a little bit until PayPal and eBay ruined that. But anyways, uh, it was they were using I think Ring signatures. It, it was one of the original privacy coins. And then they also like it's actually very similar to Tezos in that they ran these master nodes with voting and stuff like that. But I just I haven't really heard much of it go anywhere. It seems like they're their own community, and I don't know if they're ignored or just not very vocal. It's a big but. scary thing, right? So this is what I was talking about earlier. So you know the big concern, and I, and again, this is sort of um, I remember a whole bunch of my customers, and I had really good relations with my customers, as you could imagine. We worked together on pretty. Tough projects at times, and whenever they'd come into town, we'd take them out for like comedy clubs, or we'd we'd go out for a long dinner and, and chat. So I got to know them on a on a pretty personal level. And I remember when we sold the company, um, there was this concern, and people would say like, "Okay, so like if you've made some money, um, are you just going to vanish from this project, from this environment?" Because you know we had to support the software and all that kind of stuff, right? So there was that whole question of cashing out, right? Do you do you cash out? Do you you just bugger off and, you know, go go and pick grapes in Queensland or look for seashells on a beach in Tahiti or something like that. And again, it wasn't like I made that much money or anything like that because it wasn't like we were Microsoft. But there was that that kind of concern. And that is a very real concern for people as a whole. And that's always the question with if, if there's a coin that's got, you know, developers and it requires a big community and to make it work and scale and so on. And then a whole bunch of people make a bunch of money when it gets big, what's going to happen? Are they going to end up um, going off and doing their thing? Again, I think that happened to the Litecoin guy. I could be wrong, but that's uh, that's a big I, question. And, you know, I, I know the Bitcoin survived that, right? Because, I mean, Satoshi vanished, right? And, and so on. And I also know that people aren't cashing out a Bitcoin, even though it's gone up, you know, five times this year. People aren't cashing out for the most part. Certainly the long-term people are they're really holding tight they're really holding tight to this thing so I, that's oh, sorry. a big question what what's going to happen and that's the altcoin question are people going to say Woo-hoo! you know we made uh you know 50 million dollars and that's all i ever need so why on earth would i sit there and stare at a keyboard and you know get get uh, tense and frustrated when people couldn't withdraw their coins and and face lawsuits and get investigated by the sec and you know all the stuff that's happening to library yeah. why would i want to do that and i got this money i don't need to anymore right that's going to kill the development and that's, I think, where the concern is. I have the answer for that regarding Tezos. Um, the founder actually wrote out a philosophy of Tezos and the NAPs in there, uh, principles and values first, stuff like that. And the guy, like I, I, like I said, I made this case in the, one of the roundtables. Like I researched the people that did it. And uh, so his like handle online is Murbard, which is short for Murray Rothbard. Long story short, 
the guy comes across as an incredibly libertarian or if not like anarchist and not to say he is like you know i i'm not representing him of course by any means but uh yeah he, he's definitely someone who's got principles behind here this is a values thing that's part of his project, well so, so listen yeah. that's a great answer yeah except for the salt and pepper guys <laughs> like me fair, fair. why that's not a great answer you yeah. say well this one guy in tezos is the reason i have full faith in oh no no oh you know no, why no, that's my... a bad a bad argument sure one person's a target okay well you get hit by a bus he decides to quit he uh he gets uh uh covid but, and and can't think straight or whatever right then it's like, i okay, absolutely so the whole thing absolutely goes agree i absolutely agree and and we've argued this with him in chat and he's like well that's why i'm not like i'm not the man i'm not the head there's several development cores there's people there's people like me there's people like there's a lot of people with shared similar values that make okay, up so this let's community. say let's say you get 50 million dollars valuation on your tesos right yes what are you doing if if my Tezos becomes fifty million dollars, I I'm selling some. Absolutely, I'm going to sell enough so that. Uh, okay, so let's say you send you sell ten million dollars, and yep. you know you, you don't have to work again for the rest of your life. You can go travel. You can go and uh, see the Northern Lights in Finland. You could go and and surf the rapids in the Amazon and do all of these wonderful cool things. Actually, first I would I would hunt down a wife. That would be my mission. <laughs> right. I want to take a private cruise with uh, um, Stefan. Of well, course, that of course. goes without saying, obviously, right? But but no, this is this is the big important question that yeah. you need to ask yourself. I think, right? And yeah. I'm just curious about everybody who's involved in crypto and this. Let's say you go to 50 mil. It's yep. not unthinkable, right? Let's say you go to 50 mil. What do you do? And don't tell me you'll be exactly the same because you won't. Well, see now, see here's here, actually here's the thing, Steph. Though I I would not sell a whole lot of my Tesla. Don't get me wrong; I'd sell enough so that I have a nice chunk in the bank and and have a little bit of financial. Okay, so you get fifty mil. Like, I know this is theoretical, but let's put some numbers, right? But he, you, okay, you go to, Tesla goes to your, your holdings in Tesla go to fifty mil. What are you going to sell? But, okay, so uh, a, a, a very small amount of Tezos, but here's why. Here's why. I'm staking no, no, the Tezos. No, no, what number? Sorry, I'm just curious. Let me just be the uh, annoying Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. So how, okay. much, how much fiat would you want to be uh, secure? Uh, well, first of all, that's just verboten. It would not become fiat. It would become other cryptos as a hedge. Well, no, not... let's say that you still got to spend some fiat for taxes and whatever it is, right? Well, I, 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 I spend the fiat, like I just transfer crypto into fiat as I need it. And if I did, let's say I did have to hold fiat, I would hold it as uh, USDC, which I can hold with blockchain and get blockchain.com and get like 13% interest on that. Okay. Okay. So, but let's say, you know, it's called the FU money, right? Uh-huh. Which is, uh, I don't have to listen to anyone. I don't have to do anything. I'm not subject to financial pressure anymore. What's that? And again, just give me a number in fiat, whether it's convertible to fiat or not, doesn't really matter. Let's say if it's okay. Uh, let's say if it's fifty is what I got, and let's say I don't think I would, but let's say ten million. You know, I make I turn ten million dollars of Tezos into um, into something else, and yeah, some of it fiat, of course, for taxes, things like that. Yeah, because even if you're only getting five percent off that, that's what pretty. That's pretty good, right? But here, that's, here's that's why I, that still got you half a million a year, right? But here's why I wouldn't do that because I'm staking Tezos and I'm getting. A large amount of Tezos every month or every day, every three days, I get Tezos. So I don't have to sell a big block. I just sell a little bit to pay as I need. Like, well, why would I, I get rid of though that when Tezos goes to fifty, you're going to get a whole lot more competition in the um, baking? Was it baking? Sorry, baking. <laughs> I love that the baking. Yes, 
Um, you're absolutely right, but now I've got the resources to hire people, you know, to help cover that. So, right. I just know that the Bitcoin mining got pretty brutal there for a while, and people had to turn off their servers and and uh, all of that because uh, well, that was a hardware issue, and that is one thing, you know, with proof of stake, you know, you don't have the same kind of competition, you know. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, it changes, you know, when you get that kind of money. From the people I've, I mean, I've known some people in the software industry who've made made some serious coin. It it takes it it just takes some of the wind out of your sails. For for a lot of people, not for everyone, right? Not for everyone, but for a lot of people, um, it's the golden throne of indifference. Uh, that's you know, it, it's and the younger you are, the the more it tends to because you're like, oh, I can start working again later. I'm going to enjoy this money while I'm young, and why do I want to go and sit in some stinky office and you know get yelled at by people uh, when I've got this amount of money and Again, some people still remain uh, motivated, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg obviously remains motivated to do his part in um, harming the West. So he's got, you know, whatever he gets out of bed for, maybe his goats. But um, uh, some people do, do still stay motivated. But uh, that, that's the big question with the altcoins is, you know, that's, if they do become successful and people become, you know, multi-decamillionaires, um, what, uh, yeah. What happens? Are they still as hungry? Are they still as as keen? Are they are they going to keep burning the midnight oil uh, well, it's, for you know for, for it's to make the, this thing work? The people in the community are here for for like the same reason we're here in this philosophy show. Like that's the kind. Not saying it's by all means the same, but here's 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 one example. Like um, I was looking to get uh, a job with one of the the Tesla's companies, and they actually the way they knew me is because I mentioned free domain in the chat. And I was like, this is the first kind of like job interview where free domain and Steph comes up and it's like comes up at all, but nonetheless, it's positive and not like a, you, you need to get the hell out of here. You know, you're verboten. Right. So Wikipedia. We've had a I know. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's great. And listen, I, I, I think that's fantastic and that's going to go a long way for sure. That sort of philosophical commitment. Yes. Uh, and that's why I said Tezos was probably out. Like I said earlier, Tezos was outside the sort of general skepticism of altcoin stuff because it is, oh, awesome. you know, ideology is more powerful than just about anything, as we know from sort of the modern world and the way in which it's going wrong and some of the ways in which it's going right. My ideology is the most powerful thing around. So if you yeah. have a group of people who are committed, and as you know, uh, Satoshi was committed to, I think, replacing central banking or getting rid of the existing predatory financial system, all wonderful, good stuff. And that was very powerful. And uh, there are, of course, people who are in the Bitcoin space for profits, short-term profits, and that's fine too, right? Speculators versus investors. But as the system's getting worse, more and more long-term holders are taking their coins off the exchanges and putting them someplace safe. And uh, that's not because they think it's going to go down. So yeah, um, yeah so I, I think that the ideological drivers behind Tezos is, is pretty good. And that's that's one thing I would be looking for, you know, if I was investing in some um, some altcoin these are all the questions that I'd be asking. Um, Amen. And these are all some yeah. of the questions that I was asked when I was uh, selling a company was, okay, so we can, you know, we can get you to sign a stick around clause, right? you got to stick around for a year or two. We can get your stocks vested over time. We can do all of that. But how do we know you're not just going to show up as an empty shell and play, you know, Unreal Tournament all night? It's like, hey, I will be playing Unreal Tournament all night, but I will do my work first. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is the big question. Where, where does your motivation go? With this kind of stuff, and I think for a lot of the altcoins, it's just like, woohoo, we've made we've made good money, and uh, bye bye. <laughs> is is that what happened with the Doge guy? He made a lot of money. It's not any development going on with Doge, is that? Yeah, yeah. From my understanding, he was somewhat socialist. It was a complete joke, 
and uh yeah it's <laughs> they <laughs> jokes on jokes on him well actually no well, jokes on everyone else i think over time but yeah it's All right. uh to me it's it's one it's an internet joke and boy it, I, yeah i'm salty about it <laughs> yeah and it's uh i think it's a rush i don't know what the hell elon musk is doing honestly other than maybe just getting people to not buy bitcoin so he could buy it cheaper i don't know what the hell's going on but uh it's uh it's a strange thing for a businessman that astute to get get involved in and pump that much. It's crazy. I mean, the guy buys Bitcoin on his corporate ledger and then pumps another crypto. It's like, what the hell are you doing, you freaking nature? But uh, again, I think it's sort of a explainable, but uh, it's uh, uh, it's not very positive. it's not very complimentary the explanation at least. Well, him. and the joke coin is the easiest one to do that with because when pe- whenever people lose their you know lose their ass on it, you just say, what do you you thought I was serious? It's obviously a joke. What do you want? It's got yeah. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but listen, guys, i got to get some dinner, but uh, really great chatting this afternoon, and uh, we should do this more often. I'm sorry that I've been a little busy with other stuff, but uh, nice to chat with you all, and uh, I will put this out to the top as a whole, and uh, let's, yeah, let's uh, let's do, I think we may have something Thursday night, but that's going to be more um, theological. I'm curious about people's thoughts on theology these days, and uh, yeah, well, maybe we can do a, a roundtable, uh, investment roundtable this weekend, because it's been a while, but uh, yeah, thanks everyone so much. A, a great pleasure to chat. And we'll we'll talk soon. You guys, uh, I'll just leave this running if you want. I'll just leave myself, but feel free to chat, obviously, amongst yourselves. We'll talk soon. Bye. Love you, Steph. Thanks, man.